Welcome back to these videos. I'm going to be reading from 1 Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. Likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair and the putting on of gold jewelry are the clothing you wear, but let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight, is very precious, for this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening." I want to remind us that the Apostle Peter wrote this letter to Christians who were suffering, people who were doing right, but they were victims of persecution. Now, marriage under any circumstance requires work and commitment. It is a relationship between two people based on promises made to God and to each other. And in order for that relationship to grow, and be maintained in a good and healthy way, mutual commitment and work is essential. Under any circumstance, marriage requires the devotion and the work of both parties. Now, combine two elements of pressure. One, you are living in difficult times of hostility against Christians. Two, you are a Christian wife, but your husband is not a Christian. He has not obeyed the gospel. Marriage, in the best of circumstances, requires great diligence and attention. When husband and wife are both Christians, there is maximum opportunity to grow and work through problems and have a good, lasting relationship. When everything is smooth and peaceful, marriage still requires maturity, commitment, and love. Paula and I often tell young couples, marriage is hard work. But here, we are combining two elements of pressure, two kinds of difficulty to cope with. One, you're living in difficult times of the Roman Empire, and all the persecution that was going on, and two, your husband is not a Christian. Now, let me add a third element to this. In the Roman Empire, a wife was considered the property of her husband. He had excessive and unfair advantage granted by the government. He could beat her without consequence of legal action. He could dismiss her, trade her, restrict her in ways that we find evil 
and God would consider evil. Sometimes people want to know why, in this passage, the apostle devotes six verses to the wife and one verse to the husband. Part of the answer is the wife was under more pressure than the husband, given the brutal circumstances of the Roman Empire. 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6. The chapter begins with the phrase, likewise, in the New American Standard Bible, in the same way. The ESV, New King James, likewise. The NIV, in the same way. Now, to understand this, connect this with what Peter said to domestic workers or servants back in chapter 2 that we studied in a previous video. Look back into chapter 2 for just a minute at verse 18. Servants, be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. The duty of submission must be maintained as a matter of conscience toward God, even though the one you must submit to may be far from perfect. There are kings and rulers who live far short of perfection. There are supervisors, employers, and husbands with conduct we do not approve. In some cases, very harsh and disagreeable, or cold and silent, likewise, are in the same way. Wives are directed to submit to their husbands, even to those husbands who are disobedient to the word. Here's the New American Standard. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. So wives have this duty assigned by God to submit to their imperfect husbands. Notice the phrase, even if any of them are disobedient to the word. Your husband's disobedience is no excuse to disrespect him or treat him with contempt. Consider the high purpose assigned here, so that, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. The purpose is not the comfort of the wife, but the salvation of the husband. With respect to your disobedient husband, your respect for him is with a view toward his conversion, his salvation, and that's primary. In the first century, as the gospel was preached, I believe we can assume in many cases, husband and wife would hear the gospel and be converted at the same time. But I think we can also assume there were cases where one would be baptized and the other would not. We know of cases in our modern experience where both husband and wife are Christians, but at some point one falls away from the Lord. 
There are many cases where in a marriage, one spouse takes the Lord more seriously than the other. So the challenge is to keep the marriage and family together, to maintain faithfulness to each other and act as God has directed husbands and wives to act, even when it's difficult and there may be tension. There are many cases most of us have observed where the good conduct of one spouse becomes an influence for good for the other spouse. Clarity. I don't think this means the unbelieving husband is converted only by his wife's conduct. He must hear the gospel like every alien sinner. He must believe in Christ, confess that faith, repent and be baptized, and he will discover all of that when he opens his mind to the word. He must hear words, but the emphasis here is on the influence of the conduct of his wife. Concerning the conduct of the believing wife, verse 2, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Now, let's continue to stay focused on this believing wife with an unbelieving husband and what God says her duty is, what God says the best approach is. God says the best approach is not to gripe, complain, show disrespect, withhold affection, talk about him negatively to others, walk out, tear the family apart, or anything like that. No, the best approach is good behavior. If the wife, married to a man who is disobedient, really wants to save the soul of her husband, please God, and keep the family intact, and have the greatest influence, she must listen to God, and God says the best approach is good behavior. Likewise, wives, be subject to your husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives, when they see your respectful and pure conduct. Peter is addressing this instruction to wives married to disobedient husbands. As the passage appears in the New American Standard, twice there is this word behavior. In the English Standard Version, conduct. She has the greatest chance of converting her husband through her good, mature, unselfish behavior. It is not yelling, not a snide little remark, not by disrespect, rather by good behavior. The wife in this circumstance pleases God and enjoys the greatest hope in winning her husband to the Lord. It is understood based on Matthew 5.32 and Matthew 19.9 that if her husband is guilty of fornication, she has an option she can exercise to divorce him. That's not really under consideration here. In 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, God, through the apostle Peter, provides instruction to wives married to unbelieving husbands or 
those disobedient to the word, it says. Her greatest hope is to maintain her righteous conduct. Two words I want to talk to you about, pure and respectful. Chaste in some translations means pure, morally right before God. Respectful means to give honor, to show your conviction of one's worth. Stop and think about what the results would be without chaste and respectful behavior. In the case of a wife married to a husband who is disobedient to the word, if she becomes immoral, if she shows disrespect for her husband, the problem is not solved, it grows worse. Now you have a husband who is disobedient already and a wife who is immoral and disrespectful and she too is disobedient and that becomes a great disaster. And if children are involved, the greatest of disasters. The best approach for the wife in this situation is to continue to be submissive, be chaste and respectful so that even if her husband is disobedient to the word, he may be won by the behavior of his wife. In verses three and four, Peter expands on this subject of the wife's good behavior. Here it is in the New King James. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing gold jewelry, or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. In, in verses 1 and 2, Peter addressed Christian wives about their good behavior, even if their husbands are disobedient. In verses 3 and 4, he takes up a specific component of that good behavior, the underlying component of that good behavior. Adornment must not be merely external, but rather the emphasis on the internal must be present. The hidden person of the heart with imperishable moral qualities and virtues honoring God. If you were to conduct an interview with people just out in the world in general, asking the general public or the man on the street, what is a beautiful woman? We know what most of the responses would sound like. You would hear descriptions of physical beauty, facial features, figure, hair arrangement, adornment, jewelry. In the eyes of the world, and through the eyes of carnal men in particular, the emphasis, the emphasis lies on physical beauty with all the subjective standards having to do with that which is visible. There is something much greater and much higher that ought to have our focus, and that's character. That which is precious in the sight of God. What is far better than physical beauty is spiritual substance, deeper than hair arrangement, 
of more value than gold jewelry, superior to an elegant dress, a good person inside. With the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God, this defines the behavior of a good woman. This is beauty as God defines it, not as carnal men see it. Clarification. This doesn't mean you need to work on being uglier. This doesn't mean that there is no place for external beauty. This means what's most important is goodness on the inside, not physical beauty on the outside. One more thing, and then I'll pause. Don't overlook that important word in verse 4, imperishable. In the NIV, the unfading beauty, whatever physical beauty we are able to have by nature or nurture, it will not last. If you think I might be exaggerating, if you think I'm just not aware of modern cosmetics, find a picture of yourself when you were 18 and study that picture, and then go look in the mirror. When young men exhibit all of their pride about the beautiful trophy girlfriend or bride, and, and that's their emphasis, I want to say to them, be sure you have someone with genuine inner character so that when she is old and wrinkled, you'll still have the kind of woman described in the Bible. In fact, she will be even more cherished by you then. So 1 Peter 3, 1 through 5. There is no way you can retain physical beauty and youthful body through age. You can spend all kinds of money on creams and pills and exercise programs and plastic surgery, but you're going to get old and gray and wrinkled. Your posture will show age. Your hair will fall out. Your skin will begin to look like your grandfather's. And you may wind up with false teeth and hearing aids and 18 pills every day and three doctor appointments a week. If you get down on the floor to play with your grandkids, it will take a forklift to get you up. Concentrate on the hidden person of the heart, the quiet spirit before God. You see what I mean? Verses 5 and 6 in just a moment. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. What Peter says to Christian wives is not peculiar or exclusive to the new covenant. God has always expected women to live as described here, chaste, pure, respectful to their husbands, a meek and quiet spirit, holy, living by hope in God, doing what is right, not only 
are, are not out of fear or terror, but out of conscience. What Peter teaches here is not just about the new covenant. It has always been God's desire for women. Sarah is offered as a specific example of a woman who obeyed her husband. She is put before us here as a model. She showed proper respect for Abraham, calling him Lord. Uh, was not just something she said, it was how she lived. Christian women today become children of Sarah or daughters of Sarah when they live as God intends with the kind of inner character so well described in this passage. Women should do what is right, maintain this chastity and faithfulness, not as provoked by terror, but by good conscience toward God. All right, wives, you can relax now and enjoy the next few minutes while we put the heat on your husbands. Verse 7. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. It is enlightening when you read passages in the New Testament where instruction is given for relationships on earth. All the parties in the relationships are given direction. Masters and slaves, parents and children, elders and members of the flock, wives and husbands. This is because all relationships on earth among humans are reciprocal, never one-sided. So just as wives are given direction, husbands are given direction. Here, and in other New Testament passages. Husbands, we need to listen to this and examine ourselves. Live with your wives in an understanding way. King James, dwell with them according to knowledge. The NIV, be considerate. There was then, and there is today, in some men, a carnal view of headship that virtually amounts to the misuse of women as one's property and without the love of Ephesians 5 and the understanding of 1 Peter 3. I don't care what a man thinks he knows if he isn't practicing the love God requires of husbands in Ephesians 5 and if he isn't showing the consideration God requires here in 1 Peter 3, 7, he's not a good husband. I don't care how much money he makes, how hard he works, how tough he is, how strong he thinks he is. If he doesn't practice the love God requires of husbands in Ephesians 5, and he doesn't show this consideration in 1 Peter 3, 7, he is not a good husband. Men have come close to running me out of church buildings for saying this. But if they did, I'd just come right back in and say it again. Because my job is to preach the truth about husbands and wives from Ephesians 5 
and 1 Peter 3, and everywhere else these relationships are addressed. You cannot just use and abuse people and have the favor of God or the approval of brethren. Of course, men and brethren may look the other way, but God knows when men take advantage, when men mistreat their wives, and when they fail to show the warm consideration required in this verse. Live with your wives in an understanding way. Understand her needs. Understand her individuality. Understand her by listening to her, praying with her, respecting her right to have ideas and the ability to think. Live with your wives in an understanding way. And one factor motiva motivating this gentle and fair treatment is she is someone weaker, according to the New American Standard, or in the King James and New King James, weaker vessel. As a general rule, women are less robust in physical constitution. There is considerable scientific evidence of the physical and psychological difference between male and female. I, I know many people today want to cancel that, but there's considerable scientific evidence and physical difference and psychological differences between male and female. And the Bible identifies two genders. And while there are exceptions to the rule, women are less robust in physical constitution. A good husband will take this into account. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. We must not overlook the last part of that, a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. This single phrase shows where a marriage can find its greatest strength. If both husband and wife are active recipients of the grace of life, Involved in service to the Lord, praying together, there is the greatest potential for joy and strength and permanence in their relationship. Thank you for being a part of this study.